what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of the Caregiver Community is sponsored by Pace at Home. During this uncertain time, Pace at Home is enrolling participants who wish to continue to remain at home. Partnering with families, Pace at Home provides caring medical support for all of our program's participants. Visit us on our website or give us a call at 828-468-3980 to talk with a representative that can discuss with you the Pace at Home all-inclusive medical approach. Pace at Home is the champion for seniors wishing to remain in their community. Welcome to the Caregiver Community. This is a place where we talk about the joys and the challenges of caring for our aging parents, as well as caring for ourselves. I'm Frances Hall, founder and executive director of ACAP, Adult Children of Aging Parents. There are now an estimated 20 million adult children in the United States and many more millions worldwide who are caring for aging parents and are concerned about their own life as they age. In this podcast, we're talking about differing perspectives and conflicting goals when adult children and their parents just don't see eye to eye. In other words, what's going on when parents' view of what they need seems to be so different from the perspective of their adult children? And how may we most effectively manage those different viewpoints? Our interviewee for this podcast is Mary Remus. Mary is an elder care guide, certified life coach, and relationship expert. She has a bachelor's degree in health services administration with an emphasis in long-term care from the University of South Dakota. She was licensed as a nursing home administrator in the states of Nebraska, Michigan, and Iowa, and her coaching certificate is from the Life Coach School. Her mother suffered from dementia, and following her death, Mary became committed to helping adult children change the way they experience life and relationships with their aging parents. We are also delighted that Mary is helping lead the effort to begin an ACAP chapter in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Hi, Mary. How are you today? Hello, Francis. I am fantastic, and I am thrilled to be here today. I so enjoyed our last conversation. I'm really looking forward to this one, even though the subject matter is even more difficult. <laughs> well, we're going to unpack all yes, of that in just a are. moment. But we also have AJ Curley with us as my co-interviewer. AJ is the Director of, Pers- of Professional Relations at Pace at Home in Hickory, North Carolina, the sponsor for all of our podcasts. AJ has worked in various aspects of healthcare for her entire career, helping seniors and their caregivers access community resources, develop plans of care, and flourish in their chosen environments. Hi, AJ. It's always great to have you also with us. Hey, Francis. Hey, Mary. It's a pleasure to be back on here with you all again. Good to see you. And for those of you who um, maybe this is your first podcast, Mary and AJ did a podcast with us last year. So you definitely want to check those out. Check that one out. 
Okay. So I said a minute ago, Mary, that we're going to be unpacking this sometimes difficult subject. So so let's let's do, but let's kind of begin at the beginning. Sometimes a parent or older loved one just has a very different perspective than their adult child <clears throat> or loved one about what they may need or what is best for them. How common is that? And are there some typical issues that family members and older loved ones often struggle with? That's a great question, Francis. And I think the, the short answer is that it's very typical. It's very common. And I think part of that is we're all humans, right? We're human beings and we have ideas and we have in our mind what things are supposed to look like. And it doesn't match. It doesn't match anyone's, let alone our aging parents, right? But we tell ourselves that when there's a conflict, even if we know that that conflict is natural or that there's it's typical, we still think something's gone wrong and we want to fix it. So just understand that that's where we're coming from. I think there's really common areas for conflict with our aging parents for logical reasons. And I've kind of, I mean, I see them come up in really three areas. The first one, living situation, right? Their living conditions. And parents often choose to live in situations that we deem unsafe or unacceptable based on who we are today. That's the only perspective we can have on our own. We don't think about it from what it's like as an 85-year-old person or whatever their age is. But we're applying our perception to their situation. And their perception is naturally going to be different. So that's where some conflict naturally bubbles up, right? Um, this was a great source of conflict for me and my own mom. I thought I knew what was best, and it was my responsibility to keep her safe. She didn't agree. We had a struggle, <laughs> right? So, oh, I, I so understand yes, that. Yes, <laughs> The other place where this comes up so typically is driving. And I think that's one of the hardest things to, one of the hardest areas of an aging person's life to go through that conflict, to, to see that conflict. And I think that's for a couple of reasons. It's often one of the first things that comes up. And so because it's one of the first things that comes up, think about it, how we experience that and who we are in that can set the tone and set the stage for future conflicts. So, and that can be good or bad, right? There's opportunity both directions there for us. And then the other area where there's common conflict is um, finances for a whole lot of different reasons. Now, that's not to say that there are other areas of conflict because there's many opportunities. But, you know, as far as what's common and what I see a lot and what I have seen and experienced a lot, it's probably those three areas. And I mean, imagine if we could create better situations in those three areas, that alone would have a huge impact. Well, all three of those really speak to independence. Yes, absolutely. And, and that's, that's hard. That's mm -hmm. hard to be thinking that, you know, you're giving up independence. None of us likes to do that. Absolutely. For we have thoughts and fears around it for different reasons, but it all go, boils down to independence and fear. Right, mm -hmm. right. Yeah. 
Mary, I think you're, you're spot on with those three typical because we deal with that every day in conversations that we have with the families we're working with. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we have a lot of those same conversations about those challenging uh, typical issues that they're facing. And you've answered a little bit of this, I believe, but are there is there anything at the root of these differences in perspectives? Yeah, there. And you're right. We touched on it, but I think that we could go deeper to get a better understanding. And I think that when we have a better understanding, we create better opportunity for us to manage it in a way that feels like we're being our favorite version of ourselves. Right. Um, I think there's common threads that run through all of these. I think the foundation for all conflict is, as as Francis alluded to, um, independence and fear. As the adult children, we're afraid something bad is going to happen, right? We're afraid what other people will think if we don't take care of our parents the right way. We think that there's a right and a wrong way, and we're afraid that we might be doing it wrong or that we should be doing it better. They also have fear, but it's a different flavor. They're afraid of losing their independence. They're afraid of giving up what's important to them, and that's scary, right? There's fear there. So I think that you know, in, in the areas where we talked, I think with, you know, when you think about the living situation, our goal is to keep them safe and alive longer. So we're going to be inclined to think and be afraid something's going to bad is going to be happen. So we need to prevent that. So we're going to create, you know, we're going to suggest maybe you need to move into a supervised living situation where they're more in a more secure environment, because if they're more secure, we're going to feel more secure, right? They want to be independent, even if it means they're not as safe. They're willing to take risks knowing that it might shorten their lifespan. And we create conflict when we make that mean something about us, when really it has nothing to do with us. But it's easy to think, um, you know, they should, why, or why don't they want to be safe? That means that they're going to, you know, be alive longer. We're going to get to enjoy them longer. And it's not that they don't want to be in our lives. It's just that they want to live their life too. So that conflict, you know, is, is, is there. Um, with with uh, driving, our brain automatically goes to, they're going to cause a terrible accident and fatally hurt themselves and 15 other people. I just know it's going to happen, right? That's, that's what our brain offers us. Um, and their fear is that their world's going to get a lot smaller when they are no longer driving, right? So they want, you know, they, their goal and their, they want to keep their world big. There's also, I mean, there's what society tells us or doesn't tell us. There's no law saying you must surrender your driver's license at a certain age. You know, why is that? Interesting. Why is that? We, we think that we equate aging or we equate age with driving skill. And while it's very true, our reaction time decreases significantly. That's not, I mean, that that's proven, but typically so does our driving radius, right? We maybe just drive to the post office or to the grocery store um, and, our, and our speed. And I would say, I would offer, every situation's unique. Uh, for example, my mother, she was always a terrible driver. Like, she, it probably could have been argued that at 40, she shouldn't have been driving, right? <laughs> so that didn't change when she got to be 85. My mother-in-law, on the other hand, is 93, and she still drives, and she's a terrific driver. She lives in a very rural area. So applying one template of 
driving is safe or it isn't safe, it just doesn't work, right? Mary, let me let me add one comment as you're talking about all of that. I keep thinking, yes, there definitely is fear involved, but there also is a sadness and a grief yes. that's involved. I mean, maybe that may be another whole conversation. Um, but but I'm just thinking, you know, I'm hearing this, and and it's been several years since I was in that role of of caring for my mother, but. But there was a lot of sadness for her as well as for me. So true. So true, Francis. And I think that our natural human response to sadness is to try to make it better, to think that we to need control. to fix it. Yeah. And how do we fix it? By controlling it. Okay. So yeah. if we can recognize that that's naturally how we're going to want to be, and then pause and, and, and also realize but that might not that that might not be best. Maybe I'm best to just be sad and to let them just be sad. Right? Okay, podcast number 3 for you two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Mary, you mentioned um, the word safety several several different times. You mentioned the word safety. And so I want to I want to touch on that. Um Obviously, many of us believe that safety is non-negotiable, especially when it comes to our aging loved ones. So the reason we want to do that is because we want to keep them with us as long as possible. And as you said, we're thinking worst case scenarios when we're looking at those typical issues uh, that we're dealing with. So how do we address that issue of safety, but also keeping in mind that that adult um, is still capable potentially of making their own decisions and they have a right to make their own decisions. And how do you balance safety with that independence they want and the right to make the decision for themselves? I think there is so much there to unpack. And it's I, I, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because I think even just a willingness to touch on this subject means that there's opportunity for progress and for things to be different for us. And I think that's, I think we need to celebrate that, right? Um, I think that safety, there's not one definition of safety. And it's important to recognize that, that what we think is safe is going to be different from what our parent thinks is safe. And neither one of us is right. And neither one of us is necessarily wrong that it's based on our priorities and our priorities are different. So from that, we can decide, okay, what is safety? Here's my definition of safety. Here's their definition of safety. Is there anything that's common? Is there any places that we can move towards each other with that? I think it's important also to um, understand that this, again, is another place where we can maybe rise up and find common ground if we're willing to suspend just for a minute what we believe is true and consider what else might be true from another perspective. But I think it's also important to understand that even with resources and experts available to help us, this is going to be a challenge to walk the line between respecting their wishes and giving ourselves peace of mind. And it's going to be something we're going to, we need to be willing to be malleable. Is that the right word? But we need to be willing to shift and change as circumstances arise. We balance safety and independence, I think, by recognizing that it's hard for us. It's important to see that 
We can't possibly know what it's like to be them, um, what it's like to be old and have our health declining. I think in the situation that I see come up most often, so let's get specific, where a parent refuses any kind of help, right? I think that happens a lot. And I think the best thing for us to do in that in that case is to focus on three things. The way I see these difficulties, what I'm observing, is it significant to qualify as self-neglect, right? Is anyone else put at risk because of what I'm seeing as a difficult situation or their choices, like impaired spousal care, right? If there's two spouses and one isn't being cared for. Um, are there capacity issues? So their ability to reason and make choices bad enough to consider desperate measures like guardianship. And the law is pretty clear on, on capacity. And it doesn't work in our favor as the adult children because it gives more credence to the aging person. And as adult children, we don't like that. But I promise you that when we become the aging parent, we're going to like that. So let's just at least recognize that. I mean, it's, it's, it's there for a reason. So if the answer to any of those three questions is no or probably not, I think we're better off served, we're better serving ourselves and our parents by focusing on trying to build a connection with them. Maybe we can try persuasion at another time in the future, but we're really in a holding pattern. We're waiting until things get worse. And that's an uncomfortable place to be, but it might be the best place for us right now. Um, if any of those questions that I said, you know, capacity, um, others at risk, uh, self-neglect, if the answer to those is yes or maybe, then I think that we can first pause and consider it's the norm in our society for aging people to live in risky and less optimal situations for months and sometimes even years. That's just the norm. We really wish it were different, but it's not. And that gray zone of when does our parent have capacity to make decisions and when do they not? Um, a lot of families wait in that space for a crisis to occur. And when that crisis occurs, it doesn't mean that we should have done anything different or that we missed out or we made a bad choice. It means that it was a gray area and a crisis occurred. Now, what do we do? Right? So never, ever question or think that, I should have done different. I should have made a different decision. That is just not helpful. I just, I just don't think that's a, a good strategy for anyone. Um, and I think that being willing to consider, are there areas where I'm attempting to take over issues that are really still my parents' responsibility because what I need in this situation, just a willingness to go there and consider it is, is huge for the relationship. That is really important because it's so easy to really truly believe that we are doing this for our parents out of our love for our parents or our older loved one that we, you know, we really believe we are loving them. And it is really hard to acknowledge, oh, this really, yes, there may be an element of love in there, but there also is an element of, well, it takes care of me. Mm -hmm. That That's hard. Right. But it's human. Welcome to humanity, yeah, right? It's, yeah. it's how we function. And mm -hmm. there's. let's not be mad or judgmental about it. Let's just accept that this is who we are. And what do I do with that? Right? Right. 
What do I do with that in the connection? Oh, that's right. I want them to be safe. They want to be independent. <laughs> what next? And we, need to, and we need to negotiate. We need to yeah. figure this out. Yes. Yes. And that's, you know, as we've met, we've littered a couple of times, you know, how do we find that common ground? Right. We have to be right. open to it. And how are we open to it? By considering, you know, the things that we've talked about already. Well, that kind of leads into another question I have, and mm-hmm. that is, um, it, you know, as we're talking about all of this, I remember early, early, early days of ACAP. I remember that there was a woman sitting on the front row, and I honestly don't even remember what the presentation was about, what the program was about. But I remember the, this woman raised her hand and she said, how do I get my mother to respect me to respect my decisions about her with my daughter. And she talked about that she had, I don't remember what age the daughter was, but I remember she talked about that with her daughter, because she was the mother, she had a built-in respect. But with her mother, that her mother didn't have that built-in respect for her, the daughter, in making decisions. So thinking back to your personal experience, Mary, as well as conversations that you've had with people, um, what have you learned about finding that common ground when our our perspectives and priorities seem to be so different from our aging loved one? I think that... um when you touched on uh, the question of respect, why don't they respect my wishes? Whichever direction that's going from or whatever, whatever direction it's coming from, why don't they respect what I am choosing? That's a really good question. And I think the answer is, how am I respecting them, right? And how am I respecting me? Because we want them to respect our choices, but are, are we respecting their choices or, or how can I? right? What's possible? Um, I think making that first move towards someone is a very vulnerable gesture, right? That we put ourselves in, um, but it's a very loving thing to do. So in the case of respect, why is she not, how can I get her to respect my choices? And I, I mean, I think the answer, the short answer is how can I respect her choices, what's possible there for me. But I think that when we do the work of sorting out what I want for my parent compared to what they want for themselves, or if you're the parent, what I want for me compared to what my child wants for me, then we can understand how the aging person's wishes always take precedent over what I want for them when it's possible, when it's reasonable. Go ahead. Say say that again, because that's really important. I think that our work is coming to terms with recognizing that when there is an impasse, the aging person's wishes always take precedence over what I want for them because it's still their life. And our work is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable with that until such time as, again, self-neglect, harm, et cetera, and being able to continually process that and evaluate it from 
all the different angles gives us that ability. Um, to answer your question, no, my mom did not accept my suggestions for her. And I reacted terribly. I, I did. I'll, I'll put that out there. I took it personally. as I took it as a personal eject, rejection of me as her daughter. I think that's pretty normal. I took it as a rejection of my knowledge and this vast expertise I was offering, right? So I took that personal. Um, it, it wasn't personal at all. It was just this 80-year-old woman wanting to create the life that she wanted based on what she thought it looked like to be 80 years old, right? Um, she just had a different picture in her mind. I, I think the best that we can do for ourselves and our parents to find common ground when there is that lack of res what we perceive as a lack of respect is um, really to meet them where they are. And, and we hear that, but what does it mean? I think it's understanding that we can't know what it's like to be them. I think acknowledge how hard it is for us and stop, stop thinking that it shouldn't be hard. This is hard and have some compassion for ourselves and some, you know, be so kind um, realize that we are just doing the best that we can. And sometimes that's not very good and that's okay. Same for them. Sometimes their best isn't very good and that's okay. And then I think this might, this might be interesting. I think we have to let go of the notion that we're responsible for them. <laughs> I'm laughing because, oh my word, are you kidding? I, of course, was responsible for my mother, or so I thought. Right. Nobody tells us, no, you're not responsible. Like we, we take our cues from what society tells us and what we think it's supposed to look like. And to say that I'm not responsible for them doesn't mean, well, we, you know, throw caution to the wind and everything's willy nilly. It just means if I'm not responsible for them, what do I want to do? Oh, well, maybe I'm responsible for loving them as they are first and everything else takes a backseat. And if I can show up to the relationship with that energy, chances are they're going to move toward me instead of away from me. Right? That's where that common ground is. I, I think everything that we have is up for question. Every thought that we have is up for question and debate. I'm responsible for them. Am I? Maybe not. Maybe I'm just responsible for who I am in my communication with them. And how do I want to do that? Does that make sense? It, it does. It does. I'm sitting here and, and as you speak and remembering times with my mother, mm -hmm. particularly toward the end, and I remember, you know, I'm, what I'm thinking is that I vacillate between being, oh, okay, that's how I should have done it. But, but, but that's how it can be done. And it feels very relaxing. And oh, I don't have to have shoulders up against my earlobes. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. And, and then other times I think, but for some of us, that living in that space of mom, dad, grandma, granddad, you know, whoever that older person is, that they get to make the 
the choice, that can be enormously difficult because we have been programmed that we are responsible. We're responsible right. for everybody and everything around us. Right. And we ha- want to have that control. And that's so, that's very heavy. That's where that heaviness and that ears up against our, or shoulders up against our ears. And that's where that comes from, is this belief that we are responsible. And I'm not saying you have to, you know, again, say, I'm not responsible for anything. But what if I'm not responsible the way I think that I am? Right? Just... Because we also think that everything's an emergency. I, well, I did. I, you know, I thought I need to make a decision. Like I need to make choices fast, right? Yeah. And the reason I did that is because I wanted to feel safe and secure and I wanted them to be safe and secure. But if we can just slow down, just slow down, take a breath, step back and consider, okay, what's really true? And how much of this is just our need to control? Yes, and when we feel out of control, which is often mm-hmm. what what we experience in journeying with our our parent our, or our older loved one, we feel out of control because because they feel out of control because there's so much that we don't have control over, and so we're trying to control everything we can. Yeah, and that's the great that's the great fantasy, right? Is that if we control everything. But there's always going to be something. We think that we'll feel better if we can wrap our arms around everything and control it. But I've got some sobering news. And that is that when we get to that point, there's going to be something else that comes up that we need to control. So there's, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a fantasy. And yet it's the great human fantasy that we all naturally have. So let's recognize that we're humans functioning in a human world. And we have to, we get to be willing to go against, or at least question what we've been told to create something different than what we're currently experiencing. We can always go back to trying to control everything if that doesn't work. (laughs) Because that works so well. Right. To to try to control everything just works so well. Exactly. I know. But let's be nice to us because, of course, we want to control things. But, love, we just can't control everything. And that's okay. Wow. Uh, Mary, a lot of aha moments in this last piece that you were just talking about. Um, just from my own personal uh, experience with my grandmother, as as Frances was talking about with her uh, mom, it's hard to be in that space, though. Uh, I would agree with Francis uh, to get to where you were just talking mm-hmm. about um, understanding each other's perspectives, realizing that we're not necessarily responsible for them in the ways we think. So, um, so that sets us up for the next question: um, How do, what can we do to help set up better outcomes for various staging stages of caregiving, and manage that conflict that's going to come up with the different perspectives? That we're seeing? That's a really good question. And believe it or not, there are things that we can do, I think. And I think in an ideal world, we start communicating on the topic of getting old before it starts to happen, <laughs> right? So in, a, in an ideal world, we start having conversations with our parents when they're still young, right? And, and young is a different definition to everybody, but I'm thinking like when our parents are 50s, 60s, what's important to them? Yeah, to the like, 
how would you want your life to look like in your final, in your late advanced years, in your late age years, to the best of your ability to make that happen? Like, what does that look like? What's important to you? If you can't be mobile, do you prefer, do you want to go to a facility where there's people your age, or do you want people to come in and take care of you? Just, just start having those conversations. Um, <clears throat> there is, well, the, the reverse of that is true also. We should be talking to our kids. This is what's important to me, right? Let's do better for the next generation. Good point. Good point. We forget that we can do that. So we actually can influence this two different directions. I think it's fantastic. There's a, a book called um, Being Mortal, Medicine and What Matters in the End. Fantastic read. It's a very, yes, it's about death and dying, but not from a depressing, sad state. It's from an empowering state. It's understanding how we got to this point and how do we have conversations. So I think that being in an ideal world, find out what's important. Allow people to express, allow our parents to express or our grandparents what is important to them, what matters to them as they get old. Knowing that we're all going to get old. We're all probably going to have difficulties and limitations. And not knowing what they are, what, what matters. Is it important to me that I am close to family or does that not really matter? Either one's okay. Just tell me which it is, right? Um, <clears throat> the other thing that I think if we're, especially if we're, in, in, if we're in the midst of it for this stage, don't be afraid to admit to your parents that you're scared. Listen, mom, I want you safe, especially because things are starting to change with your health and I want you safe and I want to respect what matters to you, even if it means I prefer something else. But I don't know how this works. I'm scared. You're scared. We're all going to be scared in this together. We're going to figure it out. You know, think about in this, I think this is helpful. Think about how you want to be treated. You know, how do you want to be handled at that point? You're going to be old someday too, hopefully. Um, and I think, you know, figuring out and recognizing that I think just, being willing to be vulnerable and say, I don't know how to do this. I don't have all the answers. I don't have any answers. What do you want? I'm, you know, I'm scared. You're scared. What do we do? And then I think also that um, <laughs> I can share with you that this is another area where I did that wrong, right? With my mom, I tried for selling her the idea of this grand plan that we had. And when that didn't work, I tried persuasion, right? I was pretty good at sales. So I tried persuasion. And when that didn't work, I went to coercion, <laughs> getting everybody on board, right? All these people think this is the best idea. And when that failed, she it just didn't work. She Ultimately, she did what she wanted to do. She was going to do what she wanted to do anyway. I just couldn't get there. But what happened? Yeah, she fell. She did a stint in short-term rehab and long-term care. And was she happy about it? No. But there was a little bit of happiness because she'd gotten there in her own way. And I think that, you know, being able to recognize that and, and have some peace with that is important. I think, and then the third situation really is if, if you're in a situation where they're not able to be on their own, they've, um, you've got established legal means where you are making decisions for them, or you're in a position where you have to make decisions that you know they wouldn't prefer, but there's just no other option. And this happens every day. This happens. Remember that you're making the best decision you can with what's available to you. And that's enough, right? You're doing enough. And if your parent isn't happy with the situation or it's not what they wanted, it is not a barometer of whether you've done it right. 
It just means I'm making the best decision available with what our options are. That is really important information. And, and, and it's not just important information. It gets at the very heart of who we are and what we are trying to do. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that reassurance. Can, uh, maybe there is more. Maybe maybe we put a period after what you just said. Mm-hmm. But are there some things, do you have any suge- any other suggestions, I should say, to help people, adult children or other loved ones, deal with their own angst about the struggles that, that they're going to encounter? I mean, it's not an if. It's a when. There are, are typically going to be, there's going to be something along the way that, that you bump heads about, that you have a different difference of perspective about, mm-hmm. that you make a decision about, and and mom or dad or, or loved one, you know, really, really isn't happy with that. But is there something beyond um, is there anything else that people can think about besides we are doing the very best we can? I think at the most basic level, as you said, it's going to happen. And when it happens, don't panic. Don't think something's gone wrong. If, if we're expecting it, that alone is going to diminish some of the angst. So that when the angst come up, comes up, we don't make it mean there's a crisis. Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe not. But it, it, so recognizing that it's going to happen is, is huge. I think it's helpful to um, get clear on what our role as adult children is and what it isn't so that we can balance that angst. Like, is this real? Is it not? I mean, our role as adult children is not to fix everything in their world to our standard, or to keep them safe and free from danger because it's just not possible. I, um, I, 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 for a long time, you know, we, we teach about fall prevention and, and I understand that, but when we think about it as prevention, when it inevitably happens, it means we didn't prevent it. I think there's a difference between preventing and minimizing risk. Right? And I think if the goal is prevention, then when it happens, that signals we did it wrong or we should have been different. That's a really interesting perspective, but you are absolutely yeah. correct. I'd like to change that terminology just a little bit because it's important what we, what we say. The, the language that we use is very important because our brain hears it and it holds on to it. And sometimes it uses it against us in the future. Right? And, and I think the word prevention is an example of that. But I think that... I think that we have to untangle our needs from our parents' needs. And we've talked about that. We've touched on that a lot of different ways. Um, I think we being willing to be uncomfortable with their choices lessens our angst. We can be uncomfortable. We don't like it, but we can experience it. It's not the end of the world. But I think that in my mind, ultimately, I think getting clear on what our role is. I think our role is to research problems and possible solutions. It's a good way to be. I think our role is to make an effort to understand their preferences and their priorities. Even if we can't meet them, let's, let's understand them. doesn't mean we can meet them. Sometimes we can't, but let's at least get that understanding. I think that we consider how to proceed based on what we learn about them when we listen to them 
to hear what they are thinking. Um, I think that our role is to offer solutions in as in the most compassionate way that we can. I think our role is to provide emotional support for them when they experience things. And I think our role is to take care of us, right? To take care of us first so that we can take care of them to the best of our ability. Yeah. There's just so much we can't control. I think that our most important role and our most important job is to accept them as they are, to love them first as they are. And that, whatever that looks like for you, sometimes loving them means stepping back because that's how you take care of yourself, right? We want what's best for them, recognizing that we this is all coming from love. This is all coming from a really pure heart. And it gets tangled up in the difference in perspectives. And that's where the conflict rises. But now that we know that that's going to happen and we're clear on what our role is, we can go back to, okay, what is my role? It's not to control them. It's not to protect them. It's not to be responsible for their safety it's to offer myself in the best way that I can. And as you are talking, Mary, I'm thinking how much of this, uh, of what you have talked about, what we've talked about today, is really just giving people a different way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Because we have been programmed. I mean, I use that term, but okay. we really have. We have been programmed so much and we are trying to unprogram, you know? Yeah. It comes from so many different angles. Even even marketing. Open up a magazine and there's an advertisement for a retirement community. And there's these lovely people and the flowers are blooming. And you go to your mom and it doesn't look like that at all, Right. So we're programmed to think something's wrong. It it just comes from so many different angles and areas. So I think that awareness of of that alone can help. Yeah. So much. (laughs) There's just so much we can do and so much we can't do. (laughs) And and so much more we could talk about. Exactly. (laughs) How much time do you have? (laughs) That's right. Always, always, always. Mary, thank you. This is such good information and such important information because it can be really difficult. It, it, it truly is a privilege to journey with our parents, to journey with our loved ones, but it also can be really difficult at times. And so thank you for helping us understand, um, I, I guess, in a sense, when it needs to be difficult and when when maybe it doesn't need to be quite so difficult for us. Yes. Thank you. Thank uh, thank you for the opportunity really to just give a different perspective on what's happening and what's possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And AJ, thank you, of course, for being part of this. Uh, you, you and Mary make a good tag team. <laughs> we do. I am, thank you for we having me. We are really appreciative. Pace at Home is our sponsor for this podcast and all of our podcasts, and we are truly grateful for their support. 
This program is part of the Mesh Network of online shows and podcasts. You may find more of our Caregiver Community Podcast on any of the platforms where you listen to podcasts, as well as our website, www.acapcommunity.org. While you're on our site, we hope you will take a few minutes to learn more about ACAP, our educational programs, and our local chapters. And if there are other topics you'd like for us to address as a podcast, please do let us know. As we say so often in ACAP, regardless of our background, our education, our career, or anything else, as evidenced by some of what Mary was saying about her background and her relationship with her mother, when it is our mother or our father or our loved one who needs the help or the care, caring for and advocating that for that person becomes very personal and extremely important. So please care well for your loved ones, but also remember to take care of you. Stay well. Bye for now. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.